Today we have Vecislav Davidenko on the show, or David as he goes by here in the U.S. Are you looking to invest in multifamily properties? David has invested in 27 deals and over 5,000 multifamily units, 3,500 as an LP and over 1,500 as a GP. He skipped single family altogether and went right into multifamily. He started with BC value-add deals and now is focused on high-quality institutional properties. David is a big believer in having the right mindset to go big, and he's focused on building the right team. If this sounds like something that interests you, then listen in to hear how David learned to scale his business. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on David before we start the show. David lives in the Austin area. He is married and has four children. David is Russian and has an extensive entrepreneurial background. In Russia, he actually grew his wealth management business to be one of the largest wealth management companies in Russia. He then took that skill set, raising and managing other people's money, and leveraged that to propel him to success in multifamily real estate investing. This guy is always trying to push boundaries and get uncomfortable when setting his goals for the future. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Mr. David Anko here. David, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Absolutely. So, um, first of all, I just want to share a little bit on how I know David. Um, we are both part of the same uh, multifamily mentorship group. And, um, you know, David's been killing it. You know, since I joined the group over, what, three and a half years ago or so, I've just seen him scale up, scale up, scale up. And he's been, he's been killing it. In fact, um, one of my first syndication deals I was very close to was a deal that he was <laughs> selling. And I ended up coming up runner up on that deal, but, it, but we almost worked together on that one. But uh, in any event, I'm going to ask David to pronounce his name because he's Russian and his first name is, is something that I don't even want to take a chance at. So David, can you pronounce your name for us? Yes. My real first name is Vyacheslav. But when I moved to the U.S. five and a half years ago, I've realized that almost no one could remember or pronounce it. So that is why I just shortened my last name. And instead of being Vyacheslav Davidenko, I became David. Very simple. <laughs> it, it is very simple. It is very simple. So thank you. Hey, um, you know, I know that we talked um about your background, you know, when I first got into the group, you know, so can you share a little bit with the listeners, you know, what were you doing before, you know, uh, you came to the U.S. five and a half years ago from Russia. And my understanding is that you were, you know, you were in the wealth uh, management background in some, some capacity. Uh, I was in almost a dozen of different businesses. All my life, I'm an entrepreneur. So I started almost a dozen of different businesses, projects in high-tech, IT, education, consulting. And I've spent eight years being in wealth management. We have created from scratch, from zero. At the time, 
the biggest wealth management company in Russia. At that time, in 2007-2008, we were managing almost six billion US dollars wow. for our yes for our private wealthy clients. And for Russia, it's huge because the Russian market is something like almost 100 times smaller than the US market. So six billion for Russia, it's half a trillion for the US. <laughs> that's, yes. that's amazing. That's amazing. And I personally was managing almost half a billion US dollars for 35 wealthy private Russian clients. It was the maybe greatest time in my life in terms of being involved in a great business to talk to smart and successful people to manage their money until financial crisis happened. It was really great. <laughs> until financial crisis happened. Right. But one thing you said there, you know, you know, I read a lot of books. I listen to other podcasts. I, you know, and you hear over and over again, surround yourself with people, you know, that are ab above you and learn from them. And you did just that by managing, you know, all these wealthy clients, you got to learn from that, you know, and, and build confidence. And then you, when you came to the U S you took that and you leveraged that. And why did you get involved with real estate? Uh, okay. When we decided to move to the U S I've realized that I should try to do my best in order to use some skills and experience what I brought with myself. And what are those skills? What was that experience? It was rather related to raising and managing other people's money. And when I met my, at the time, future mentor, I met him at the Tony Robbins event, and I discovered that this guy, he is doing multifamily investments education. I've realized, wow, multifamily, it's a great place to be because I could raise the money. I could invest this money. I could manage this money. It means that I could use my skills. I could use my knowledge. And being in a new market environment, it really helped me a lot. That's fantastic. So you said a few things there. One, you know, you came to the U.S., you wanted to leverage the skills that you already had rather than completely start from scratch. Um, two, you invested in going to a Tony Robbins event, you know, and, yes. and, and a lot of people are skeptical of going to events and masterminds and learning from other people and all that. But you went there and I'm sure you got, you know, more out of it than this. But one of the things that one of the outcomes was you met, you know, your future mentor, uh, you know, Brad Sumrock, who is, is the mentor for, for both of us in the multifamily world. So um, that's it. And it puts you on a completely different path, you know, that you wouldn't have had had you not invested in yourself and went on that, that conference. Yes, yes. And moreover, at that time, Tony Robbins taught me that go outside of your comfort zone. Be focused. Massive action. And what I want to share that I'm not proud of, that at that time, during my first Tony Robbins event, I didn't become firewalker. <laughs> I've decided, no way, I don't need it, it's too much. But when I was done with Tony Robbins event, I've realized, wow, I missed so much. I wasn't brave enough. I didn't go outside of my comfort zone. I need to visit this event again. So immediately I paid for my ticket. I was waiting and really I wasn't walking the fire during the next event. I was running it back and forth because I've decided if you could do it, you could do everything. And I did it. That's fantastic. <laughs> Good for you. So when did you go back? Uh, you mean uh, go back for the yeah, next for, for the Yeah, the second time to do yeah, to do the fire walk. Yeah, it was in November, the same year, November. 
First time it was March and second time it was in November. So we'll get into more stuff, but this is just, I guess this is more for me. <laughs> Maybe some <laughs> other listeners will like this too, but um, you know, I like Tony Robbins. I've read, you know, one of his books and, um, but there's a piece that he's very, very flamboyant. And, and um, I don't know, there's a little bit of a skeptical piece of me, like, you know, kind of, am I going to be jumping up and down and clapping and all that? Like, is that me and all that? And so I have not gone to one of his events and I've talked to, you know, a lot of people that I've gone and I want to say not a hundred percent because there's, there's a few people that felt like, yeah, I was a little bit off, but I would say a high percentage of people really, really take their, their mental state to a completely different level. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, let's say it was my second meeting with Tony Robbins, my third one I had together with my wife. And next one, I invited my eldest daughter. So four times I was at his events, two times being alone, one time with my wife and one more with my eldest daughter. Because I just decided they need to know it. What is, so not, I'm not trying to skip out on your wife's opinion, but your daughter, how old is she? And what was her perspective after attending? Uh, she's 32 years old and she really needed it because she moved to the U.S. as well. She moved to the U.S. because she became University of California, Los Angeles student. And then she graduated from UCLA. She just didn't know what to do where to go. She didn't feel herself comfortable enough, brave enough in order to apply for any job, in order to talk to her future colleagues, boss. And she needed to go outside of her comfort zone as well. And for her, it was exactly the same. Fantastic. I love that you talk about getting out of your comfort zone and, you know, she didn't, she wasn't brave enough. You know, it was, it talk about, you know, now we're talking about the real estate world, you know, and, and this is all mindset stuff, right? It's, it's like, yes, you know, yes. Can, can I do it? And there's a lot of people that want to invest in real estate and they, they get scared. You know? But let's say what's interesting about me that before investing in multifamily, I never invested in single family here in the U.S. Right. I just skipped it. Right. And this focus, this massive action, this way of doing business while you are outside of your comfort zone, it helped me to realize why should I invest in single family? Why not to try something bigger, even though you are very uncomfortable, in order to become more comfortable, to learn something, to build relationships, get those skills? I began investing as a passive investor, as LP in multifamily. So I've invested in five or six properties, asking questions. Analyzing and deriving. You ask a lot of questions, so yes. I'm, sure, I'm sure you asked a lot of questions. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. You should be asking a lot of questions. It makes your general partner sponsors really uncomfortable. Why this guy is asking so much? But anyway, you need to know a lot in order to become multifamily investor, multifamily sponsor yourself. And it just helped me learning from my mentor, learning from other more experienced sponsors, investing my own money to become sponsor, general partner myself. And this is the way how I began investing as a general partner. And that is why, as of today, I'm in 27 multifamily properties, 17 of them as a limited partner, passive investor, and everything else as a general partner, as a syndicator. And all in all, it's close to 5,000 multifamily units. And yesterday we were awarded 
my next deal as well. But this is a separate topic to talk how my approach, how my career in multifamily investments was changing. Let me know. Then we will be ready to talk about it. Absolutely. So uh, maybe talk about, because I think that you are a, a shining example of somebody that learned how to scale. So um, the deal that I mentioned right in the beginning that I was going after was your first um, full cycle deal. That was, uh, I don't know, six, how many units 68. was that? 68. It was 68 units. 68 units. And you couldn't believe it. We bought it just for 2.5 million. It was, I don't remember exactly, something like 37,000 per door. You couldn't imagine that those properties exist, 37,000 per door. And yes, it was my very first deal as a general sponsor, general partner as a sponsor. And it was my first full cycle as well. We bought this property, made really great units upgrades. We upgraded all the exteriors, sold it and delivered to our passive investors 40% plus as their annualized return. It was the real success. Right now, I have four of our properties under contract. We are selling them. So I hope that by the end of the year, in total, I will have five multifamily properties that went through the full cycle. And in a case, if you decide to ask me, David, what are the returns right now for such deals? I should say that for the best deals, it could be even 40% plus annualized. But for the worst ones, it could be just 10 to 12% annualized. Not all the deals, they're such a huge, great success. It could be 12, it could be 20, it could be 40. This is a real business. And you need to understand it. While investing as a passive investor, as a general partner yourself, let's say last week, I got the money from other experienced sponsors. I invested with them five years ago. They more than doubled my money in 28 months. Anyway, my last deal with them brought me just 8% annualized. Guys, as a passive investor, you should be prepared. It's not a guarantee of doubling your money in three years, in five years. This is just a great business, great way of investing your money. But anyway, it could be huge success or it just could be return of your money with some profit. Right. And that, that, that's a very good point to, to share because, um, and, you know, I've heard it from some other sponsors that have said, you know, when their first deals, you know, were home runs, it's, it's great because your reputation is great and, and all that, but then your investors expect that on every deal that you put out. And the reality is that some deals are home runs and some deals are singles and doubles. And um, so I think that that's a great point that you bring up. Hey, you also brought up that you're under contract on a new deal. Um, can you share a little bit about what that deal uh, looks like? Yes. And let me begin with my approach, how it changed during those five years. Yeah. So five years ago, I began investing in older and smaller properties. It was 60s or 70s construction, 40, 50, 60 units. And we were moving as a team because multifamily, it's a team sport. You couldn't do it just yourself. You always should be partnering with someone else. And it could be just two of you, and it could be six, seven of you. And we were moving in the direction of closing bigger, 91, 150, 270, 316, 351 units. And newer properties as well, 1980s, 2000 something. The last deal that we closed in August, it was 
351 units built in 2020. And my current deal, uh, I could share some numbers because it's 506C deal. It means that accredited investors only, that my current deal, it's 330 units. 2020 construction again. One of three biggest builders, developers in this country. And what's great about this property, it's located in a master planned community. As a result, one of the results, the median household income for one mile radius in that area is higher than $120,000 per household. And what it gives to you, let's say, you could ask me, David, why you have decided to move in the direction of the bigger and newer property? So there are many reasons. One of the reasons, I've graduated from Chicago University. There I got my MBA. And I just knew, I've realized that I prefer to be involved in the institutional type business. It means bigger properties, newer properties. It means using institutional investors' money. It means working with institutional class property management companies. And at the same time, while buying newer properties, we are targeting those investors who understand that there is one way how to invest your money. You invest in all the C-class properties, value add. If you are lucky and you have not a lot of deferred maintenance, it means that you enjoy your cash on cash distributions, you enjoy your capital gains. But if you are unlucky, how it has happened to one of my properties, Deferred maintenance just will be eating all of your cash flow. And as I have mentioned, I am all-time passive investor in 17 properties. And if you ask me, David, how do they perform? Yes, some of them are making distributions in the range 8 to 10% annualized on a monthly basis. But half of those properties, they are making no distributions at all, zero. Because what they have experienced, on one side, it's COVID-related. Because what we have discovered that newer and better properties, we still have very low delinquency. Our tenants pay. We stay 95 97% occupied. Properties perform really well. But those C-class and all the properties, it wasn't the case for them. Delinquency could easily be 10%, 15%. Occupancy could drop to 90%. And many tenants, they just stay and don't pay. This is a different business model. I'm not saying that it's better or worse, but it's different. And while we are targeting these newer properties, what does it mean? For C-class properties, for your tenants, their income to rent ratio is on average three to one. Let's say if they pay 10,000 annually for their rent, it means that they're making 30, 35,000. This is their income. But for our newer properties, almost always it's six or higher to one. What it means? Let's imagine that your tenant pays the same 10,000 rent annually, but this tenant makes 60,000, 70,000, 80,000 per year. And they are much more comfortable with you improving your property, making it operationally more efficient, sometimes later upgrading, improving it. And as a result, increasing your rents as well. And this is the way how our business has changed from older and smaller properties to newer and bigger ones. 
and type of investors we are migrating from private investors to institutional ones as well. That's really interesting. Um, so before COVID happened, you know, I had conversations with lots of sponsors and like we all knew it was coming to the kind of the back end of the economic cycle and there would be some kind of slowdown and, and we were trying to, you know, I was like, what, what happens with these multifamily deals in that case? And, and people kept saying that the A properties were probably going to get hit the most because you go into a downturn and people can't afford rent as much. And so the bottom 20% of the A tenants are going to move down to B properties. And then the bottom 20% of B properties are going to move to C. But in COVID, that didn't happen. The it A didn't properties- happen. And what's interesting, let's say this is my eldest daughter experience. She lives nearby from me in A-class apartments and they did nothing beat her unit. No improvements, zero. She paid before renewal $1,400 and her new rent is $1,700. Wow. $300 and they didn't even do anything. Nothing. 20% increase. And the reason is quite simple. So many of those tenants, they work remotely. They didn't lose their job. They are fine. Right. No, that's, that's a huge point. The other thing that I've heard from a lot of syndicators is, um, so a lot of people are trying to trade up and, and, um, and some are starting to get into, you know, new construction as well. And, you know, when I ask people, why are we doing it? And, and there's, there's a lot of people that say, that, look, the cost basis of these BC properties have gotten so expensive that it's not that much more to get an A-class or to start, you know, to do a, a new build, new construction deal. And, um, and then you don't, ha- you know, you don't have the, the maintenance headaches um, of, of deferred maintenance. So everything that you're saying, um, you know, makes a lot of sense. So we mentioned um, the new deal, but you didn't mention the name of it. Um, and so the reason why David can talk about this deal is, you know, he's under contract on it. Um, and he will, he and his team will start raising capital for it, um, is because it's a 506C and it's only available for accredited investors. And when, and when that's the case, you can actually talk about it and, um, you know, post it on social media and, and do whatever you need, you want to, but only accredited investors are able to invest in this deal. So talk about that, that deal a little bit more, maybe mention the name of it. And, um, you know, at the end of this episode, we will share how to get in touch with David, um, but just share a little bit more on that, that particular deal. Yes. The name of the property is Broadstone Siena. It's located in Houston, as I said, in master plant community, in really great area. We are buying it from the developer. B, I mean, this is the our team of people who work with me on those properties. If you ask about our business plan, David, how are you going, let's say, to perform, to improve this property? Business plans for those new construction properties, they are quite different from the older ones. If we are talking about 60s, 70s, it's primarily about upgrading your units, flooring, countertops, fixtures, painting, and so on and so forth. You just invest six to eight thousand per unit and get your rents increase. For newer properties, it works differently because it's talking about bulk. Wi-Fi. It's talking about reserved parking lots, covered parking lots, or it's about different ways of delivering Amazon boxes to your door. It's about saving water, but not through installing better toilets, but rather through installing individual water meters 
to every unit, and so on and so forth. As a result, you become able to have the same 100 to 150 dollars per door your collections increase, but you are doing it with tenants who are not paying, let's say, everything what they have in order to live in those apartments. They are paying 30% of their income. But you're doing it for those tenants who are willing to pay for additional services. Much easier. And in terms of the performance, it's almost the same as it is for C or B class apartments. At the same time, let's say that in five to seven years, those properties should be a perfect example of property for the next buyer because time to begin upgrading those units it's there already five or seven years later buy this product begin to upgrade the units begin to upgrade the amenities because every five to seven years regardless of the property age it needs some upgrades it needs some improvements that that makes sense. You know, I I didn't know that that um that ratio. I think that ratio is very p- important to understand that you know on the BC, you know, and I know because I'm I'm involved in one and I mean multiple and they always say kind of that 30 35% you know, you know um rent to income ratio and if you're so that's one third if you Going into A class and it's one sixth. They- but let's say that. What's very important as well that I never heard about someone talking about ethics. Because we are talking about business. Let's upgrade, let's improve, let's increase our rents. What about your tenants? Could they afford it? Are they comfortable with it? Okay, let's retenant it. But from ethical point, I myself, I feel myself much better improving property and even increasing rents while working with those people who could easily afford it. And this is another side of our business. How comfortable it, it, are you? Right. It is. Um, and, and part of it is a viewpoint. I, I kind of don't take that necessarily view. I, I, I look at, you know, look, if there's, say there's 10 properties in the area and this one property really needs an, you know, an upgrade, um, there are going to be some tenants that can't afford it and they're going to go look for another, you know, property that is cheaper and is more dilapidated and they're willing to do that. And there's other tenants that are thankful for those changes and are willing to pay up. And then there's other tenants that just move in, in the retenanting process. And they're excited that they have, you know, a a property that they, you know, that they can be proud of um, for the money that they can afford to pay. I I agree with you, but let's say that I believe in so-called karma. And that is why I'm at least I'm trying to do my best in order to keep my karma clean, perfect, in a good shape. And if my business helps me or directs me in a way that my karma will be better, I prefer to take it into consideration as well. Yeah, but- no, I mean, hey, look, that I, I completely get it and everybody has their their feelings on it. Um you know, look, the tenant in an A property that comes up for renewal and has to pay $300 more a month and doesn't get any, you know, any additional value from their perspective. Because I, I know I've had people that have rented in A class properties and they're like, holy cow, my renewal just went up crazy. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to pay it, but I don't know where else to go. And, you know, so there, you know, look, that same, you know, karma thing could, could apply to in both scenarios, but Hey, I want, I'd like you to talk about, um, and I don't know if you even bring any of them forward or not, but you came from Russia and Mm -hmm. you were in wealth management. You had 35, 
you know, private, very high net worth private investors um, that you worked with, do any of your international clients invest in the U.S. and in, in, no, in multifamily deals? No, I'm not touching foreign money just to be on a safer side. I know from my former colleagues, I know from my friends that some of those people, they are willing, they want to invest abroad, including the U.S., but I never used. You, cho- you chose no, not no, to? Mm-mm. No, let's say just, just to be on the safe side, because you never know what could happen. Maybe at the end you could discover that this money poisoned or something else. It just, let's say, I have responsibility for all of my investors. And in order to save their money, in order to make good returns for them, I should try to do my best in order to mitigate all the potential risks. So it's rather about related risks. That is why we never, okay. never um, used. Because I was going to ask you, you know, I've talked to some attorneys and they've said, um, you know, with international money, because I've talked to some people in like South Florida that want to do it with, you know, wealthy people that are in South America. And um, so I've talked to some attorneys and they said, well, you know, in that case, they would typically have to set up a, the easiest way is to set up an LLC. Yes, US LLC, and they and, could easily do it and, through and the- fund mm-hmm. that LLC, and then that US LLC is the investor in the, in the syndication. Um, I have not had experience with that in, in either. Um, I so I wanted to get your take, but it sounds like you you made a um, conscious decision not to yes. bring in foreign capital, not to do it. So, um, so by the way, maybe important yeah. part that we didn't touch yet sure. that again, multifamily is a team sport. And if, if you ask me, David, how do you build your team? Let's say I always tried to find such a partners who have complementary skill set. If one partner is great in raising the money, another partner is great in doing asset management, someone else should have some skills in marketing, in investor relations, and so on and so forth. And while building your team, please pay special attention to what everyone brings to the table. because. In a best case scenario, it should be well-rounded team of people who are able to successfully handle this business. That that's a great point. You know, bringing on partners that have complementary skill sets, and you know, you mentioned in, in a number of different questions, you know, that we've talked about that. You know, your mindset and your your moral compass that has to play into it as well. So. You could find somebody that has complementary skill set, but you also need to know that you guys are on the same page in terms of the way you run your business and, and the way you look at life in, in general, you know, um, how you treat people. Um, all those factors have to play in as well. Yes, yes. And I've heard it from many of my colleagues as well. Something like, I like the deal, I like that property, but I never partner with those guys because we have different morality. I couldn't do business with them. Right. It happens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've heard the same thing. So, and I think, you know, these deals can be, you know, on the short end, two or three years, but they could be five, six, seven years. Um, so you, you know, you want to know who you're, you're doing business with uh, both on the GP side and, um, and also on the LP side too. Um, look, you know, I know your deals, this guy is so funny. I mean, most of his deals, he puts them out there and like they're funded so fast. It's it's incredible how fast they get funded. So when that happens, you can be choosy about the passive investors that you invest with too. I mean, if if some of them don't 
kind of have the same mindset as you, then, you know, maybe the next deal, they're just not on your list. Um, I mean, have you ever seen that happen in any of your? Always. 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 (laughs) Always. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. That's funny. That's funny. Hey, so um, we're going to change topic a little bit, but you grew up in Russia. You know, what was your childhood like? Uh, Brothers, sisters, um, you know, you said you were an entrepreneur and started like 12 businesses, but, you know, Russia didn't really have the reputation of, of being an entrepreneurial, you know, um, playground. Um, so talk a little bit about your childhood. And, well, and- let's say, yes, it's quite simple. Russian people are very entrepreneurial. But maybe one of the main difference here in the U.S., you could do your business as an entrepreneur due to. In Russia, you're doing the same in spite of. It means that in Russia, you're constantly fighting with something, with some obstacles that prevent you from growing your business, from making it successful. We don't have, let's say, an liquidity in order to sell your business. Here in the U.S., you could sell almost anything. Neighbor, house. The guy lost his job one year ago, and he began this landscaping business for his neighbors. He was doing it for one year. Now he got his job back and he sold this business with just 13 clients. Very small business, new business, not successful, not scalable. Anyway, he sold it. In Russia, it's just impossible. There is no liquidity. You could sell almost nothing in terms of having exit for your business. It's the same beat the government. Or let's talk about taxes. You could ask me, David, what were your reasons? And you asked me, what were your reasons in order to invest in multifamily? A lot of them, but one of the reasons, if you invest in multifamily, you have a lot of tax advantages. You have this bonus depreciation. You could invest just again and again and again and pay no taxes from your cash distributions. Nothing, just zero. And in Russia, even though our taxes are lower than here in the U.S., on average, at the end, you really pay more. And it's impossible. Then I discovered that here in the U.S. I could invest in multifamily and really pay no taxes. I couldn't believe it. Right. Yes, how could it be possible? It's impossible. It couldn't happen. Yes, but it happens. Well, and even here in the U.S., people there's a lot of people that don't understand that that they can take advantage of tax advantages. You know, they're W two employees, and they're just used to you know paying their share of income taxes. Yes, and a lot of other things. Let's say doing my business in Russia, I had a bomb in my office. I had bodyguards. I had visits from the local gangsters who wanted me to pay them, and so on and so forth. Doing business there, it's quite different. In terms of risk, I should say that risk is 10 times higher. But anyway, this is the reality. Maybe this is one of the reasons why Russian guys are so entrepreneurial. Because I have a lot of friends. Here and moreover, one of my investors, he is a co-founder of the public U.S. company. He's originally from Russia as well. But anyway, more than 20 years ago, he established IT company here in the U.S., grown it, made it public, became really a wealthy person. It's mentality, it's culture. And as soon as you move yourself, to more friendly business environment, let's do business together. <laughs> let's do I, it. I would like that. So, <laughs> hey, how, 
how old were you when, when you kind of knew that you were going to be successful and you were going to be uh, an entrepreneur? Uh, you could be 15, how, you could be how 17. How old were you? Ah, you. You. ah yeah. When, you think yes, back. yes. I was, uh, one sec, 24. 24, okay. So, so you didn't start out that way and, as uh, a... No, I was 20, or 12 no, year old. No, no. Ah, you don't know it. In Russia, being an entrepreneur until 1989, it was illegal. Oh, you should illegal? go illegal. You should go to jail. If you buy something for dollar in one place and sell it for dollar 20 cents at another place, you will go to jail. Holy it had God. a name, yes, speculation. Because according to our laws until 1989, for how much did you buy for the same price you should sell? Wow. You shouldn't be able to make a profit. It was absolutely illegal. Yes. And then in 1989, perestroika, so-called perestroika began. People were shocked. Wow. Now I could buy anything and sell it for higher price and make a profit. Yes, it was fully I illegal. I didn't, I didn't realize that. So a long, I'm dating myself a long time ago. It was probably, I don't know, 30, 30 something, 25, 30 years ago. Um, I was working for PepsiCo and I was traveling around the world. And one of the places I went to was, was Russia. And I remember going to, um, so this was probably pretty early on in, in terms of the entrepreneurial, you know, new mindset. And I went to like a kind of a flea market type of place. And it, I saw the two different sides, like I had young people that were like stopping me. Hey man, like, you know, hey, can, can, are you interested in this watch? You know, how much? And wanting to haggle and all that. And then, you know, I talked to somebody in, in an older generation and like the price is the price. And they're like, no, I, you know, I won't take a dollar less. No, that, that the price is the price. And they, it was two different mindsets of people that, you know, some people were like, look, I could take a little bit less margin and still make a profit. I'm going to do it. Um, but that's interesting that 1989, I mean, holy cow, that's, that's crazy. So um, talk about, you know, you started with the Tony Robbins thing, but talk a little bit about um, mindset and the, you know, getting out to conferences and networking and learning from other people that are ahead of you and, um, you know, trying to Im improve yourself and, and, you know, every day and every, you know, and, and get better and how that yes. impacts you. Uh, let's say Tony Robbins, he just changed my mind. He changed everything. It's one more thing from him that you are the average of six people closest to you. So try to do your best in order to be surrounded by the best. And for the first time, I discovered it, I felt it, but I didn't realize it at that time. It has happened to me at Chicago School of Business because we were in a group of six of us. And I thought before we met for the first time for our assignment, I thought I'm the smartest one, I'm the best one. But when we began working, I just realized, wow, I'm the most stupid one. <laughs> I understand nothing. They're such a great guys. And moreover, as a result of the assignment, we should have something done from all six of us. We needed to agree. So we learned the art of compromise. And at that time, this feeling, let's say, I got it. But I just didn't realize what is this, how it works. And only after visiting Tony Robbins' event, I've decided, yes, let's do my best all the time, being surrounded by the best people who are smarter than you are, who are more successful than you are. And you always 
will be uncomfortable feeling they are smarter, they are more successful. Why I'm so bad? Why I'm so poor? Let's imagine. I'm so poor, I have just 5 million, but this guy has 100 million. I'm so poor. Okay, I have 100 million. I'm so poor, this guy has 1 billion. And so on and so forth. <laughs> Be surrounded with the best. Good Once, problems to have. Yes. And in this way, you are always developing, growing, changing. And this is one of the reasons why I was growing my portfolio, building big and new properties, and changing my team as well, trying to surround myself with the better ones. At the same time, I'm very respectful to my very first partner in multifamily. He's a great guy. We have seven deals together, and I hope that sometimes we will have even more. But anyway, I'm trying to change, to grow, to develop. And that is why I'm trying with work to, with other guys as well. Well, that I mean, that's huge. You said a few things there. One is, look, when you were getting your first deal, 68-unit deal that we talked about earlier, um, you know, your mindset somewhere and there's – you know, people have asked me like, Hey, what, what are the, what was the scariest step in, you know, in the beginning? And it's like, well, every step was scary in the beginning, but now I look back at all those steps and I'm like, I'm not scared of those steps anymore. Right. And for you, you had that, you got uncomfortable, you got the deal done. Then you went through, you know, let me share with you something. When we decided to buy this property that we closed January this year, it was 30 million plus purchase price. Last year, I was absolutely uncomfortable. I was crazy. How could we close it? How could we raise the money and so on and so forth? But we did it. Then I realized, okay, let's target 50 million plus. The same happened. Now I got 70 million plus. Let's do it. And it doesn't mean that you always will be able to be successful, to close it, to celebrate it. Sometimes you could have maybe even a disaster. But as one other mentor teaches that it's not a disaster. It's just a lesson. Very expensive. But anyway, this is the lesson that you learned. And next time, you will be more successful. And as one of my friends likes to say that if you had a mistake, even if you had a disaster, it just means that you are one step closer to your next success. Yeah, absolutely. A absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, thinking bigger you know, having bigger goals, it, it challenges you. It makes you more uncomfortable. I, I don't know about you, but for me, that uncomfortableness, that kind of challenge is what energizes me, right? I mean, if I do the same thing over and over and over again, I get bored, you know, and, and, you know, I know I could do it. I know I could do it. Boom, boom. And just do this transaction. But when you push the boundaries, you know, that's when all of a sudden your juices get flowing and, and creativity comes in. I had a guest on that, that said that he was, he was trying to do, he was starting small. So he, he did like a duplex. And then he said, the next year I'm going to do four units. The next year I'm going to do eight units. And, the, you know, the next year I'm going to do 16. Well, when he got to, I think, eight units, he all of a sudden had somebody or he thought of going bigger or whatever the case may be. I don't know what motivated but he said he changed his goal from eight units to 800 units wow wow <laughs> wow and once he did that so i said where'd you end up and he said like 454 units exactly yes yes just target so, something much bigger and and then even if you will not succeed anyway you will learn grow develop and you will be great. What about your feelings? You will be proud of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
that's the that's probably the biggest I think the biggest barrier not only in real estate investing but starting a business or doing anything big is you know that in between your mind in your in between your ears like believing that you can do it you know and and then taking action that is probably the hardest thing for for people is is actually believing that they can do it and and so some of my advice is well, you know, push yourself. And then when you achieve that, now you know you're at that level, you can push the boundaries someplace else. But if you just let that stop you from trying, you're never going to, you're never going to progress. Yes, exactly. So, hey, what, what do you, what's the next big stretch goal for you then? Oh, you're up to 5,000 units and how much, what's the split between LP and GP on, on that? Probably 2,000, 3,000? No, it's uh, 1,500 as a general partner and 3,500 as a limited partner. And what's next? I still want to be a limited partner. So I still plan to invest at least three, four properties every year as a limited partner for a very simple reason, just to learn from others, to see what they do with their properties, what they implement, how they improve. And at the same time, my plans has changed because I've decided to become more aggressive in terms of growing my institutional quality portfolio as well. Let's say in a best case scenario, five years from now, I hope to have 20 to 25 multifamily properties in my portfolio, all of them being not older than five years, it means that in 2025, my oldest property should be 2020 construction, everything else newer, bigger size, 300 units plus, and almost exclusively institutional class of investors, vendors, service providers, because it should be scalable, well-managed business. Their operational efficiency is your strongest point. And by the way, what I've realized that so many of my colleagues, they didn't they don't pay enough attention to the ways how to market their properties. That is why I want to build this system that should make my conversion rate from potential tenant to the real tenant, to the real move-in, maybe one of the highest in the whole industry. because losing your potential tenants because you don't follow up on time, because you don't make personalized offers. You are not selling your property in the best way possible. This is one of the ways how you could dramatically increase your profit. Just imagine that you increase your conversion rate by 100% twice. You're almost always as with two of my properties. Believe it or not, last year, they constantly stayed 100% occupied. And we increased our rents six times. Holy cow. <laughs> it, it wasn't $300. No. Right, right. They, they didn't double. We were making it in a small increments. Sure. But we were doing it. Why? Because everything worked almost perfectly. But these are A-class properties for sure. Right. So, hey, there was another, I just, just remembered this deal. So there was another deal that you were involved with. So I live uh, about 45 minutes north of Dallas in, in a town called Prosper. And I'm in a community that has a crystal lagoon. And I think it's, it's amazing. Like you go to this thing and, and it just seems like you're on vacation, you know. Um, and you and your partners ended up getting involved in a deal that 
is going to have a massive Crystal Lagoon. So talk about that a little bit. Because yeah. I think that, that there's a trend there because, you know, these master developers, it, it was always a golf course before. But when I sit at the lagoon, I'm like, man, the entire family is getting to enjoy this amenity and it takes up way less space in a master community. You don't have all this big watering and maintenance issue. You don't have all these, you know, a ton of employees. And um, so anyway, I, I'll yes, leave it to you. Yes, the idea was quite interesting. We have chosen the fastest growing city in the U.S. with the population 50,000 plus Leander. For many years, it was the fastest growing city. Bought some land there and decided, let's build a mixed-use new construction. Multifamily, hotels, restaurants, retail, office, and put Crystal Lagoon at the center of the whole development project. So we got all the permits from city. We got 22 million US dollars in financial incentives from the city. But at the end, we have realized that the project becomes too complicated. Too many moving parts, hotels, it's a different business. Restaurants, different business. Offices, different businesses. Multifamily, Crystal Lagoon itself. And we have decided that we are not ready yet. So the whole project was sold to other guys. Oh, but really? What, I, didn't, yes, I didn't realize that. Yes, it was sold already. But what's great that our investors, depending on their shares class, they got 20 or 30% annualized. And let's say we have sold this project not only because we have found that it's too complicated and professionally we are not ready, we are not experienced enough. But at the same time, I've decided this is a perfect time to show to my investors that I could deliver my promises. I could give them the profit that was anticipated. At the time, then they accepted those high risks related to the mixed-use new development. And so I got some knowledge i learned a lot so we made our investors happy and as a project founders we are very happy as well because it's like grand cardon something like making 10x of your initial investment into the project that's why not fantastic. so i didn't realize that you guys had sold it but you know that's just another example of taking action you know it was a project that was really big and, you, you know, you didn't know everything prior to that. And then you continued to go down that path. And at some point you determined, hey, look, I could still get my investors a really good yes, return. And, yes. And it becomes just too risky for them. Because just imagine that your multifamily business is very successful, but everything related to street retail or hotels, it's a disaster. Right. But... You're responsible for someone's money. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Hey, what do you like to do outside of work? Just my family. I have four kids. By the way, my eldest one is 32 years old. My youngest one is just two years old. And <laughs> That's my, a big gap, my friend. Yes. And my every morning, every morning, seven days per week, it begins with me taking the youngest one from her bed, going to the kitchen, preparing breakfast for her, feeding her. And this is the best part of my life, spending time with my kids, with my wife, with my youngest one, 
And I just missed it with my three other kids. It never happened with them that feeding them every morning, taking them from the bed every morning, and I'm enjoying it. Fantastic. Good for you, man. Um, so how do people reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you? What's the best yes. way? Yeah, it's quite simple. You could visit our website. It's sunrisecapitalgroup.com. Sunrisecapitalgroup.com. Or you could send me an email, VD, just two letters from Victory Day, VD at <laughs> suncapus.com. Suncapus.com. VD at suncapus.com. Fantastic. Well, David, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I think there was just so much there for, for people to learn from. Um, look, mindset is a big thing and, and Tony Robbins and going to that and pushing yourself and getting uncomfortable. If you don't do that, it's hard to have these big quantum leaps in, in your life. And, and you did that. And, um, so I, I applaud you for that. That's it, fantastic. It could be not Tony Robbins. It could be your wife. It could be your parents. Doesn't sure. matter, but it right. should be someone who could help you to open your eyes. And what's great, by the way. I'm learning a lot from my eldest daughter after that Tony Robbins event. A lot, because she's reading a lot. She learns a lot. She, she, she's getting her third degree. And we are talking every day. And she says, Dad, think about this. Do this. You just need to find those people who could help you to grow. And by the way, my pleasure and my honor. Thank you so much, Darren, for inviting me Absolutely. to your podcast. Thank you. Absolutely, man. You, you are a shining example of what can happen. So I uh, appreciate you coming on. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at DarrenBatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.